0: May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. So glad that you're with us today as we continue our series, The Greatest Stories uh, You've Never Heard. And, you know, that clip from The Hunger Games uh, does a great job of illustrating uh, the chaos of a riot. Um, And... uh, You know how things can just escalate really quickly. And there's actually a story just like that in the New Testament that we're going to look at. And um, it's a story that I imagine most of you have uh, probably never heard or never heard in detail. So we're going to look through it it today. Uh, There were many years I was unfamiliar with this story at all. Uh, But there are some powerful lessons uh, for us in it. And I will say, uh, just like The Hunger Games, if you have seen uh, the films, um, just like that is a story about... uh, a dictator ruling an empire of mostly poor people—that um, is very close to the environment of early Christianity when Jesus lived and the, the church got started, um, with the, the Caesar and the Roman emperor—and and so I think you're—you're going to get a, that sense in the story that we look at today of Christianity being kind of a, a small, a fringe religion that was kind of a. On the, in the minority on the edge of society. So let me start out before we get into the story itself by giving you the cast of characters, okay? And you can fill these in at the top of your message notes. Uh, first you have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. <clears throat> he was one of the most well-known leaders Uh, in the early church, in the first several decades after Jesus' life. Um, uh, He was just a very well-known figure. Uh, You also have uh, Demetrius the silversmith. Demetrius the silversmith. You have the Greek goddess Artemis. And the city clerk of Ephesus. The city clerk of Ephesus. Now, because historical context is so important to understanding really anything in the Bible, but especially a story like the one we're going to look at today, I want to take just a few minutes to set the scene for you so that you can grasp the full significance of what God is saying through this story. Uh, So, the story we're going to look at today, the riot. Scene that we're going to look at uh, took place in the ancient city of Ephesus. Okay, Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, had a population of two hundred and fifty thousand people, which at that time in history, I mean, that was like a metropolis, and uh, it was located on the west coast of modern Turkey, uh, just across the Aegean Sea from Greece. Now, here's the thing to know about Ephesus: it was fiercely devoted to worshiping the goddess. Artemis, uh, the Greek goddess. And she was uh, the goddess of hunting and fertility. This is a a statue of Artemis that um, archaeologists have found that they would have worshipped in Ephesus. And the Ephesians built a temple to worship Artemis. This was like the heart of their city. And it wasn't just any temple. This temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This is uh, what the temple would have looked like uh, at the time. And I want you to understand how big of a deal this temple was, okay? Um, That temple had 127 columns on it and each one was six stories tall. I mean, this thing was massive. With the exception of the pyramids in Egypt, This was the largest man-made structure at this time in history. And so people came from all over the world to Ephesus to see this temple of Artemis and, and to worship her. And as you can imagine, the Ephesians, the residents of Ephesus, were fanatical in their worship of Artemis. And so when the message of Jesus came into that environment, there was a lot of resistance because Artemis had this huge home field advantage And in the book of Acts, which is the book we're going to look at today, where the story comes from, we get to read about Christianity coming into that city uh, for the first time. And so uh, before we look at the text, I've got it printed in your your notes there, Uh, before we look at that text, I want to give you just a little glimpse of what kind of led up to the riot, okay, because we didn't have enough room in your notes to print literally the whole story, so let me give it to you uh, kind of in my own words. Here, here's how uh, it got started. So Paul came into Ephesus, and he knew that the whole city was just fanatical about Artemis. I mean, you, you couldn't miss it, it was everywhere. So he wanted to find common ground where he could, and he found that the Jewish community was a place he could do that, because they did not worship Artemis, and Paul was from a Jewish background, and so he thought, hey, I'll start with the Jewish community. So he went to the synagogue there and they gave him three months to preach and, and teach about Jesus. And uh, after three months, they were tired of hearing about Jesus and they said, we'd like you to go somewhere else. And so Paul um, found a private lecture hall in the city that he rented for two years. And he preached every single day and taught about who Jesus was for two additional years. And let me just say, like, great job, Paul. I mean, Like, how many of us have rented a lecture hall so that we would have a place to tell people about Jesus? I mean, that's pretty amazing. So Paul had been teaching about Jesus in this city of Ephesus for more than two years. And a lot of people were coming to Christ, but a lot of people in that city were not happy about this message. And so things started to boil over. And that's where we're gonna pick up what's printed in your notes. So let's read it together. Acts 19, 19. 23, that's where we're gonna start. It says, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way, and the way is just uh, the term for Christians um, in this passage. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen of related trades and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who's worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So here's what's happening. The union of silversmiths in Ephesus, what they did is they, they made these little like silver tourist trinkets of, of Ephesus or of Artemis, probably looked a little bit like that statue I showed you. And they would sell them to the tourists that would come to see uh, the temple. And Christianity was growing to the point that they thought that their business was in jeopardy and their livelihood and also that Artemis was being disrespected. And so they, this is the business community pushing back against the growth of Christianity in Ephesus. Let's keep going, verse 29. It says, soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. They all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So here, so here's what's happening. There's this full scale riot going on in this theater, as the passage says, but you have to understand the scope of this, okay? It's not like a little movie theater, okay? The theater in Ephesus was more like a stadium. This is actually a picture of the theater in Ephesus today. Okay, you can go see it, I've actually been there. It is massive, it's carved into the side of a mountain, and it had enough seating capacity for 25,000 spectators. I mean, this thing was unbelievable. Look at this aerial shot today of the Ephesian theater. I mean, this thing is crazy, and so, I mean, it's like big enough that like, Elton John could hold a concert there if he wanted to, and I say that because he actually played a concert there in 2001. If you don't believe me, you can YouTube it, but he did. But look, thousands of people rushed into this theater, and for two hours they're shouting, great is Artemis the Ephesians. And it's like this mob scene. And I know that's hard for us to relate to. You know, it's not like any of us have ever been so fanatical about something that you know, we would, for example, sleep in tents outside of Best Buy for the chance to trample some people on Black Friday to get a good deal on TV number four for our house. But anyway, that's, like the, that's what was going on, okay? It was this frenzied scene, okay? Let's see how the story ends in verse 35. It says, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the, garden, uh, the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet not do anything rash. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, there are proconsuls they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. And so this poor city clerk comes out there in front of this, you know, giant Riot in this stadium, and he's responsible for keeping the peace. And uh, because the Romans are all about law and order, he he essentially politely suggests that the silversmiths, you know, take them to court. Uh, which I would love to know what the crowd's response was to that suggestion. Oh, we can go to the courts. Uh, what are we doing here? Okay, we'll just we'll take it up in the courts. Thanks for making us aware of that. Riot over. I'm pretty sure it didn't go like that. But look, here's the story. Okay, you've got this metropolis of Ephesus passionately worshiping this pagan goddess Artemis their whole city revolves around that and they are violently protesting the growth of Christianity in their city so what does that have to do with us okay this dramatic event that happened 2,000 years ago what does it have to do with our daily lives what is God teaching me through the story of the riot in Ephesus that's really the question well he's got a few things to teach us and, and they're um they're pretty important. So the first one, number one, is be persistent and adaptive when talking to people about Jesus. Be persistent and adaptive when talking to people about Jesus. Look, that's the example Paul set for us, right? He came to Ephesus, and he sought whatever common ground he could find, and he found it with the Jewish community uh, for three months in the synagogue, and, and when that opportunity was no longer there, uh, did, did he give up? No. Uh, Did he interpret hardship of sharing Christ with Ephesus as God telling him that he should not talk about Christ with the Ephesians? Of course not. And so he adapted, and he rented out this lecture hall, and he he spoke there for two years because he knew the Ephesians needed to hear about Christ. He knew that, and so he was going to adapt, and he found this other venue, and for two years, He did that, and so many people became Christ followers that it impacted the business of the silversmiths. That's how this whole riot got started. You see, the riot scene was the result of persistent, adaptive evangelism on Paul's part and his team, you know, sharing Christ in a compelling, loving way. So how can you do this? How how can we all do this? I think Paul set a great example in this story. Look for people that you've got common ground with and start there. You know, uh, maybe you're in the corporate world, and that, I mean, that's where you are all the time, and you're surrounded by coworkers who are in that same corporate world all the time. I mean, find ways to reach out. I actually have a friend here at the church who uh, started a weekly Bible study over lunch at his office. They meet once a week, and the neat thing about that is he doesn't have to, like, sneak in a conversation about Jesus. He can just say, hey, we're having a Bible study on Wednesday at lunch, Love, love for you to come. And people have, and they've, you know, led to meaningful conversations about Christ. You know, if you're heading off to college, or you're going back to college uh, here soon, uh, what a fertile environment to share Christ with people at a time when people are asking big questions and thinking about their future. Uh, I recently had lunch uh, with a guy whose daughter is in college, and she's gotten involved with an organization that shares Christ on college campuses, and they've seen lives changed. College campuses are an amazing place uh, to do that, and there's a lot of creative ways to reach out. Uh, If you're a mom, connect with other moms in the community. I mean, that's a great source of common ground. I uh, heard a story of a woman here at the park who is a stay-at-home mom, and her next-door neighbor is also a stay-at-home mom, and she happens to be Muslim, and she's just built a friendship with this neighbor because they're both stay-at-home moms. They're neighbors. They live on the same street, and a genuine friendship has grown, and it's led to some meaningful Conversations about Christ and God. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing what's happened. You know, another uh, thing you could do if, if no ideas are coming to your mind right now is lead a small group here at the park. You know, we talk about this a lot, but that would be a really easy way to just have a group and invite your neighbors and friends to come and just talk about Jesus. A great way to create a, a little space of truth in your neighborhood, in your community. You know, it's the kind of thing that Paul would have done. And so if you haven't led a small group here at the park, that'd be a great place to start. I mean, we've seen a lot of lives change through our small groups here. But look, the the basic idea with all of these ideas I'm throwing out, and there's many, many other ways you could do it, the basic idea is that you wanna cultivate real relationships with people based on common ground if you can, and build that bridge of relationship so that that bridge can withstand the weight of truth when you begin to talk about Christ with them. I mean, that's really the idea. And be persistent, I mean, Don't lose sight of the fact that people in your circles need Christ. And you might be the only Christ follower in their circles. And so you've gotta be persistent and adaptive. And here's the thing, God wired you a certain way. And he gave you a certain set of gifts. And he gave you a certain circle of influence that nobody else has. And so we have to be persistent and adaptive within those circles of influence. I mean, how many of us in this room have relationships with Christ now because somebody was persistent and adaptive with us. That's true for me. I can think of four or five people that if they weren't persistent and adaptive with me, I might not be a Christ follower today or or my life would have looked very different. So we have to do that. There's a second thing we can learn. Number two, don't be discouraged when God doesn't appear to be winning. Don't be discouraged when God doesn't appear to be winning. Look, the message of the cross is going to be offensive to some people. And I don't mean that the message itself is offensive or insulting. I'm saying that even if you share the truth about Christ in a very loving Christ-like manner, it will offend some people because you're talking about absolute truth. You're saying this is the one true thing for all people of all time. And in our culture, that concept some people aren't comfortable with especially as tolerance and that kind of thing grows in our culture uh, absolute truth is something people aren't willing to accept some people and so they're going to push back and we can't be discouraged by that i mean look what happened in ephesus they started a riot and shouted their op- their opposition to christ for 2 hours and that was definitely a moment when god it seemed like God might not be winning. I mean, of all moments, that certainly appeared to be a time when something else was winning. And we experience lots of situations like that where God doesn't seem to be winning. Conversations with friends, we see it on social media, TV, politics, movies, decisions our kids make, health struggles that we have, you know, our loved ones might be going through. I mean, there's lots of scenarios where it appears the God might not be winning. And how easy would it have been in this situation for Paul to just throw in the towel in a hostile environment like Ephesus and, and just, okay, yeah, like Artemis, like she's, she's, maybe she's a God, she's your God, but like Jesus is also a God too, so maybe you guys could consider him. He could have done that, but he didn't. You know what Paul said in Ephesus? He went into that environment and he said, Artemis, she's not real. She's not a real thing. That temple means nothing. I'm here to tell you what is real. And I'm here to tell you about Jesus who loves you. That's what he said. And the passage says that Paul had led astray many people from worshiping Artemis, okay? Paul was succeeding in speaking the truth in an environment where people were pushing back constantly. And so that gives us hope. Even in a climate like Ephesus, Christ can grow his church because ultimately God is the only one who can win. Even when there are times it appears that he's not winning. So let me ask you a couple of questions. You just have to be honest with yourself about how you answer these. Are you discouraged when it appears that God isn't winning? Let me ask it this way. What's your Artemis? What is that thing in your world, in our culture, that you think God could never overcome? That Jesus could never overcome? That area where you're tempted to throw in the towel? You see, we're called to stand for Christ no matter what people or structures stand against us. And and look, when I say stand for Christ, I am not talking about shouting people down and ranting on Facebook and beating people over the head with the Bible. That does not represent Christ well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that no matter how hopeless a situation might seem, we are called to speak the truth in love into that situation and believe that God is in control even if it appears he's losing. That's what we're called to do. But there's another thing we can learn, number three. We've got to remember that those who oppose Jesus still need him. Those who oppose Jesus still need him. So the book of Acts that we just read the story from, it's a historical narrative, okay? It's just telling the story of what happened. And Paul is one of the figures in that story. But Paul wrote letters himself, and he wrote them to churches. And we have 13 of those letters in the New Testament. And one of the letters he wrote to the people in Ephesus. It's called Ephesians, all right? And so Paul wrote Ephesians to people who used to worship Artemis, to people who might have been rushing into that stadium and screaming, great is Artemis to the Ephesians. Paul was writing to them in Ephesians. And I want to read um, a few verses from that. It's in your notes, Ephesians 2. Look what Paul says to these people from Ephesus. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And I want you to underline this final, unbelievable phrase. It is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you've been saved. You see, when Paul looked at the citizens of Ephesus, he knew they needed God. He didn't write them off, okay? He didn't view them as a lost cause in spite of all of their angst against Christianity. He knew that they were spiritually dead and that they were being led astray by temples and statues and false gods. He knew the Ephesians needed Christ. He knew that. Paul knew this personally uh, because at one time he was opposed to Jesus. Paul actually did not follow Jesus during his ministry. In fact, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, Paul made it his business to hunt down Christians and put them in prison, and he actually oversaw the killing of some Christians. But Jesus changed his life. And so he personally experienced the life-changing power of Christ, and he saw that the Ephesians needed that too. That was his story, and it's a lot of our stories. just kind of as a side note, when people would come to Ephesus to worship Artemis and they would go to the temple, uh, to worship her, what they would do is they would bring her little gifts, like the the big statue. They would bring uh, like a little, here's a little drink, Artemis, and here's like a little snack, and I'm gonna put a flower here and light a candle. And what they were trying to do is get Artemis to do something for them. Because I don't know if you remember from like high school studying Greek mythology, the Greek gods and goddesses didn't particularly like people they, they were very fickle, they certainly were not unconditionally loving, and so humans were always trying to kind of get them to be on their side, and oh, maybe if I do this, they'll give me this, or that kind of thing, and maybe they'll just zap me with a lightning bolt, I don't know. But they were trying to get the Greek gods and goddesses to reach down from Mount Olympus and care, basically. And when you know that, how radical is it for somebody like Paul to walk into that town and preach grace and talk about Jesus? And what he's saying here in Ephesians, writing to that community, is that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he willingly and willfully died for us, that he took the initiative in doing that. And believe me, he very much appeared to lose. Jesus did. When he died on a cross, bled to death, was buried in a tomb, his body went cold, and a couple days later, he started breathing again. I mean, he appeared to lose for a while there, but that appearance didn't mean anything. Uh, The truth is that Christ won a victory over sin and death on the cross, and he offers his grace, a free gift of salvation, and he initiated that. He initiated that relationship. You don't have to coerce God into loving you or bribe him to think about you or care about you. He loves you deeply already. And there are temples of Artemis in our culture today, institutions and ideologies that stand against Christ, and millions of people who, give their allegiance to those institutions. And some of us in this room might still be doing that now or used to, but those people still need Jesus because they're buying into the Artemises of our culture and it's our job to lovingly lead them to the truth. Look, even if it sometimes seems like the message of Jesus is getting drowned out in our culture, uh, that our city is being lost or other gods are on the throne, you've got to remember that Jesus Christ reigns. That is the truth in spite of whatever appearance there is. I mean, 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, it sure seemed like Artemis was on the throne if you were there. I mean, you had a stadium full of people shouting that she was great and that Jesus was not. And she has this temple that's the great wonder of the world. You remember that picture I showed you of the temple earlier? Here's what's left of it today: one column standing up. And you know what? That wasn't even really standing. Archaeologists were like, found a piece, like some pieces of columns, and they were like, "We should probably set it up so people at least know where the temple once was." That's what that is. Because there are no real competitors to the throne of Christ. That's what that means. All pretenders to the throne will be shown for what they are. No gods at all. Which is the message that Paul brought to the Ephesians. Artemis isn't real. That's what he was saying. We've got to be persistent and adaptive in the way that we share Christ with the world. And not be discouraged when it seems like something else is winning. Not be discouraged in the face of our temples of Artemis that are out there and they're everywhere. Because our world needs Jesus especially those who seem like his opponents. They especially need him. The love of Christ changes lives and the world and offers real hope. And we have to be the ones to carry that banner. So go ahead and pull out your connection card and let's ask God to help us take some next steps. Number one. God, I'm asking you to help me be persistent in talking to people about Jesus. Would you ask him to do that, just to cultivate that fire in you, to be persistent and adaptive? Number two, God, I'm asking you to show me one creative way that I can share Christ with people I know. Um, As I gave some examples of what people have done in this community to reach out, I imagine some ideas came to your head. Would you have the courage to do those or to ask God to show you another way that you can reach out and share Christ. How about number three? Encourage me when God doesn't appear to be winning. that's something you struggle with, of when it appears that God is not winning, that you get discouraged, would you ask God to just change your heart on that? Just that in those moments, he would remind you that Christ reigns in spite of whatever the appearance is. How about number four? God, I'm asking you to remind me that everyone needs you. Everyone, everyone, would you ask God to remind you of that? Even the people who oppose you and Jesus need Jesus. Would you ask God to remind you of that? Number five, God, I'm asking you to save me as I pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Uh, Maybe today is the first time you've heard that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, that he initiated salvation for you. He didn't wait on you to get your act together. He's already done it because he loves you. He loves you individually. He knows you. It's not that he just loves everybody and you're sort of swept up in that. No, you. He loves you. And so if you have not responded and received that free gift of salvation that he has purchased for you and offered to you, I would encourage you to pray that prayer today. Begin your relationship with God. And you can do that by praying the prayer at the bottom of your message notes. It's not a magical prayer, but it just essentially admits your need for God and asks for forgiveness and that he would save you. And the Bible promises that if you do that, he will. And so I'm going to give you some time in just a moment to do that if you haven't already. But check the next step if you're planning to pray the prayer because that'll let us know that you have and we'd love to follow up with you and uh, send you some free resources to help you have some first steps in your new exciting life following Christ. And then finally, number six, send me information about leading or hosting a small group this fall. know, I know we're still kind of in summer mode, hanging on to summer a little bit, Um, but we're gearing up for the fall semester here at Parkway Fellowship, and uh, I would challenge you, especially members, if you've never led a small group, I would challenge you to make this the semester that you do, and that can be a kid small group, a youth small group, an adult small group, it doesn't matter, but it's an incredible way to impact our community because you create a little environment of truth out in our neighborhoods and in our communities, where we can rally around each other and, and support each other as we do try to reach this community for Christ. And so I would highly encourage you to do that. Um, just a side note for adults, if you want to lead an adult small group, we've made some changes that are going to make it easier than ever this fall to lead. And so if you've been on the fence, now would be a great time to jump in. But uh, even if you're not sure if you want to do it, check the next step and we'll just send you some more information. But here's what I want everybody to do. Um, everybody bow your heads. Uh, everybody bow your heads. I want you to... Uh, take a moment to just spend some time alone with God and reflect on what he has um, said to you through this message and the next steps you've taken. And um, We don't get a lot of opportunities in our life to block everything out, all the noise, and just hear from God. And uh, this is one of them. And so take full advantage of this time now to just hear from the Lord and ask him what he wants you to do. And uh, if you're gonna pray the prayer to become a Christ follower, now is your chance to do that. Uh, so take a few moments right now and spend some time alone with God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so deeply that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins, the things we have done. You took that on, Lord, and you nailed all of those sins to the cross and dealt with them once and for all so that there would be nothing standing in our way of knowing you and loving you and having the hope in this life of a relationship with you and a hope for the next one that we will spend eternity with you in heaven Lord I thank you for that we don't deserve it and it's a free gift that you offer and Lord I pray that you would give, our, give us a heart for this world Lord that there are people out there who don't know you Lord that don't know your truth who haven't had the opportunity to meet you and I pray Father that you would soften our hearts toward them especially the people in our culture who seem to oppose you Lord Lord Help us to have just compassion toward them as as people who desperately need you. And God, help us not to be intimidated by the temples of Artemis in our culture, but to know that you reign in spite of whatever the appearance may be. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.